Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as skating, internet, footy, gags, radio, hardcore. For business opportunities, call someone better. At the Drop HQ, at YouTube Hits. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Michael Beveridge. Hooray! Can I just specify to everybody Hooray. that the hardcore is um, the style of music, not, not not that I think I'm a hardcore dude or I'm into pornography. That So just there's just a little proviso for everybody listening. <laughs> welcome, Michael. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. In social settings, mate, can you tell me, how do you introduce yourself? Um, mostly as Michael. I stick to that a fair bit. Uh, de- depends where I know you from. Like if I've, if I've yes. never met anybody, I'll just say, hi, my name's Michael. Uh, if it's in a business context or a please God, give me a job context, it'll be, uh, hi, I'm Michael. I do the National Night Show on, uh, the, on the radio. G'day, how are you? Now, life in radio isn't your first job, is it? No, no, I had several before then, really. Uh, I went to university in Brisbane at QUT for about seven years because I'm... Yeah, that's what's up. Uh, I was there for seven years because I'm incompetent and I did three different degrees. (laughs) I I don't know how I managed to squeeze that three-year degree into seven years, uh, but I managed to pull it out. I got a business degree. uh, I majored in advertising and I was a copywriter uh, in the Brisbane ad scene for a few years. Oh, were you thinking about carpet often? Pardon? Oh, Tony Martin, a very famous comedian. Oh, yes, Tony Martin. Uh, who also writing copy for ads, always used to talk about his go-to whenever he had no idea where to start was thinking about something. So thinking about carpet. Oh, yes. <laughs> thinking about taking your kids on a holiday. Yeah, it's... Uh, yes. Well, the funny thing is copywriters and radio have got a, a fairly, uh, fairly good relationship. Chrissy Swan... Uh, was a copywriter. Uh, yes. You literally just told me Tony Martin was, so now I've got two examples. Uh, Ash, <laughs> Ash London was a copywriter. Uh, yes. I think it's a copywriter to me is a comedian slash radio presenter that doesn't have the confidence to get out there and do it. And yet look at all the, the examples that we've just talked about, including yourself, who are now getting out there and doing it. Well, I literally, I, I stumbled because I was offered. So I don't count myself like the Ash Londons who I guess – went out and grabbed it. I was very lucky enough to sort of go on Big Brother and then be given the opportunity to work in radio. I never would have had the confidence to do it myself, I don't think. Maybe with age I would have, but I just, uh, I've got severe anxiety about my own abilities to be interesting. Uh, so I, I struggle to actually go out and say to say a content director, hey, I'm brilliant and you should put me on the radio. I apologise. I don't mean to laugh at you at offering that you have anxieties about being interested. <laughs> I only, I only laughed because I look at you as possibly one of the most interesting people that I've spoken to ever. I mean, I mean, I, I just saw the last person you spoke to was it Steen Riscopoulos? I think he's one of the most interesting humans in the world, and I'm like, he's very interesting, and he's he's gotten to where he is through hard work and long, long years and days of dedication. Whereas I sort of feel like a bit of an imposter, uh, just being given this golden opportunity. And it's not to say I don't work hard. Everybody who knows me knows mm. <laughs> Michael might be late, but he stays late, uh, and he works hard. So yeah, I, I 
I might be interesting, and I think there are a lot of brilliantly interesting people out there, but, geez, it takes guts to get up and stand on stage or put your voice out there and say, you don't know me, but I'm going to be very interesting. And so that's what I have the utmost respect for. Was there a specific motivation for you when you applied for Big Brother or was it just, I'll see if this can be fun? Well, my work told me they'd give me a paid day off to go try out. They said, they were like, uh, yeah, my ad agency, it was a really small little boutique agency. There was only about eight of us in there. And they were like, you'd be great for it, Michael. We'll give you a paid day off. Go and do it. And I was like, paid day off. Excellent. (laughs) So I got up at 4.30 in the morning because I was like, there's going to be a line. I'll get in there early. I'll get it done by nine o'clock and I'll have a whole day to just do faff. Yeah. Uh, little did I know the company was about to uh, go under and they were just trying to get rid of my paid days. Uh, so <laughs> uh, it, it, it worked out all right for me, though, because I went in there at 4.30. I was in by, I don't you know, I was, I was in the first 10, went in, got all the way through. I ended up being there till 5 p.m. doing all the different rounds of auditions. Uh, and then I had another four or five days over the next three months uh, to try out, go see psychiatrists, do testings, do IQ testings. Uh, and do a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, so thank you uh, to Matt Emerson and Sandy, my creative directors, for <laughs> trying to boot me out. When you were going through that process, because as you said, it's it's a fairly lengthy one to get into Big Brother. Apart from the moment where they said, Michael, congratulations, you're in. Did you at any point think, I've got this nailed, I'm going to make it? No, there's 20,000 people, well, 20,000 people tried out. And I'm, I'm an idiot, but I'm a man of logic. And I'm, you know, the probability of that I went was just, it's just too slim. There are far more interesting people out there than me. There are so much better looking people. There are people who, uh, you know, I I don't have a huge sense of value in myself. Uh, So I just, I really thought there was no chance. Uh, I started getting inkling upon inkling, you know, that things were going well. And I thought, you know what, I could make it to the last 16, I reckon, or the last 30 or, or, you know, I could, I could be a reserve. I reckon I could possibly be a reserve. Uh, and then I got the call and it was just, you know, I was lying in my bed naked, probably post wank because I'm a disgusting piece of shit. And I, I was just like being a filthy student. And Alex Mavrodikas has just given me a call and he said, mate, you're in. And, you know, I was, uh, it was just the most in, insane thing because it had been four or five years since it had been on television. And I had no idea what sort of, where, where, what was going to happen. Because that's when you start thinking about, well, shit, am I going to be able to have sex with girls that are attractive now? Like, like, (laughs) are people going to pay me, like, to go to their clubs or something? Like, do I get free beers? Like, am I going to get a car? Are you going to go on Rove? Yeah, like, and I didn't have a TV, so I wasn't aware that Rove had been off off air for six years. (laughs) And that's the thing, I hadn't had a TV forever, you know. I'm a typical Gen Y kid, and I I stopped watching free-to-air TV a while ago, uh, and if I want to watch something like, you know, whether it be, I don't know, just picking a show out of the air, maybe Molly, I'll watch it on the internet. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I had no idea what they were, and it was on Channel 9, you know, and I remember the last years of Big Brother on Channel 10 with, you know, the Kyle and Jackie O time, and I was like, shit, that's gross. I don't want to, do I want to be a hot dogs? Like, do do I want to, you know, I I didn't know if it was going to be a great idea because it's like entering in the lotto. You never actually think you're going to win. So, I mean, this is a much shittier, lesser prize money lotto, but it's still a great lotto. 
Well, there's all of the jokes that fly around about how Big Brother these days is your uh, effectively your audition to get into commercial radio. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that, that definitely has its truths. I, I think a, a bigger truth is uh, rugby league or professional sport is your trip into. <laughs> you know, it, it it blows my mind uh, that there isn't this stigma of a sporting player being given a job on radio because you do Big Brother and yeah. you know Chrissy Swan, Fitzy, Camilla. Uh, Heidi from Heidi Will and Woody over in Perth and uh, trying to think if there's another one. Maybe. There probably is. Uh, oh, the guy that um, that was the chook down in Geelong. Uh, uh, what's his name? Paulie. Yes. Yeah. Paul the surfer guy. Yeah, Paul. Uh, I mean, I, I mean more like sort of your big metro stations that you're given that opportunity. Uh, there's, <laughs> yes. there's not too many. Rachel Corbett, I know that she was in there for yep. a little bit. Uh, she likes to edit out the fact she was in Big Brother ever. Pardon? Whenever it pops up on her Wikipedia page, she gets it ripped off. Yeah. Um, God bless Rachel. I can understand it. But she was an intruder anyway. So she was in Big Brother for about 10 seconds. Yeah. And I don't, you know, she's probably, she's worked her way up through legitimate means. But, um, you know, there's only three or four, I think myself included, if you count, I guess, that I was doing Adelaide Brecky. But if you go by footy players that did nothing and then got their job on radio, there's there's probably six going on right now. So, you know, I don't think content directors are in this day and age where Roves and, you know, the big names are coming back. I don't think they're willing to give young people a shot anymore. I think Dan and Maz was sort of the last big experiment in an unknown team being given a big opportunity. I think that was the last chance for the next few years. Now you're getting your Osher Gunsbergs getting put in and, you you know, yeah. your big names. I think the, the, the smallest name that you're going to see in Brecky Radio is probably Sam Pang, and even he's a national identity to me. Yeah, and, and fair call. I think he's got a much bigger profile than even he gives himself credit for too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, even the ABC are mirroring this too. Um, in a conversation that I had with Carol Duncan, who uh, was the episode before you in this, she talked about how that's become a real trend in ABC local radio to have, and she, she was lamenting a little bit and certainly wasn't being spiteful, but acknowledging that where journalists are being replaced with comedians, sporting people, those kinds of things that, that might be able to talk, you put them with a good producer and there's a radio show. Well, here's the thing, and this is what it all comes down to, and this is why we've seen the decline in journalism, in clickbait, and just either firebrand issues that are going to get a click either way. Why do you want to turn on and listen to, uh, you know, Stephanie Williams, who you have no idea about, when you can turn on and listen to, you know, Adam Law, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that guy. Uh, He's done one or two things that I might agree with. I'll give him a shot. And it's exactly the same reason why Summer Brecky on Triple M was uh, Matt Hayden, Mark Bosnich. You know, I I hear those guys. I know they've got jack shit radio experience in terms of training and development, but they've got an opinion, and I reckon I'd like to hear what that is. There are also – Triple M as a a station is one half step away from becoming – uh, a sports radio station. Yeah, and I think they've moved a lot away from, you know, getting, say, uh, you know, uh, Bernard Fanning or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Chris from The Living End. I think they're moving away from rock because rock music sort of, as of 2005 onwards, I mean, really the only rock bands that are selling records are either U- Coldplay, Temper Trap. Rock seems to be dead at the moment. So the only op- mm-hmm. opportunities they have to employ people are over 40. We need another Rolling Stones album. That'll sort it out. Well, we both know that they're never going to die, so they'll be able to bring out a few more. Those guys go into stasis the minute they come off stage. Yeah, they're they're 
like Harrison Ford, they're, they're Han Solo. They just go into that weird concrete slab thing and then they get thawed out every time they walk on stage. Nice. <laughs> Michael, what one thing would you change about your life today? Um, I think I've, I'm recently coming to terms with the fact that I... I... Oh, mate, I don't know. That's a tough question, isn't it? Part of me is like... I wish I got my hair cut when I was a kid so I don't have this crutch of having long hair. I feel like it's become a bit of a crutch for me. Uh, and then another part of me is that I wish I'd developed uh, the ability to – I was actually thinking this on the walk here. Someone said, "How's it? how are you, mate? And I just tried to think of a joke. Every time someone asks me how I am, I just try to give them something funny back and I just need to realise you don't need to be funny all the time and you don't need to always try and make people laugh. Uh, so I think I wish I had a more well-rounded personality and that I was comfortable not trying to entertain because I've always just been, all I want to do with in my life ever is make people happy to the, even to, you know, at the, at the expense of myself, which I'm always okay for, you know, I'd, I'd rather put myself down and bring someone up than yep. have someone else continue in their shitty way. Self-deprecating humor is something that is a bit of an Aussie staple anyway, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I think uh, I grew up on Monty Python and Mike Milligan and the goodies mm. with my grandparents being British and, uh, you know, that sort of humour definitely stuck with me. The whole Stephen, like a little bit of Fry and Laurie, definitely just taking yeah. the piss out of yourself. And a lot of times in radio, I'll I'll say how terrible I am. And someone will say, no, don't say that. No, you know, they want to hear how great you are. And I go, you are so far off the mark if you think that Australians listening in the car want to hear how someone sitting in their bloody electronic tower talking on their job for three hours a day, getting paid probably more than most people, want to say they're brilliant. No, put yourself down. Like even, that's even a little bit why Carl Sandilands is popular because, yes, we know he, he drives two Rolls Royces. Uh, yes, we know he earns millions. At the same time. Uh, yeah, but he, he also calls himself a fat piece of shit that's probably going to die soon, you know, and the, yep. it's that's great. There's nothing worse than a rich, powerful person letting people know he's rich and powerful. Yeah. And I'm neither rich nor powerful, so it's really... <laughs> I, I don't know where I fall in the spectrum. Who do you count as mentors, given that radio is a is a... A new thing to you? Craig Bruce, number one. Craig Bruce, uh, mm -hmm. who used to be the chief content director, or I don't know what he was, actually. He was just my mate. Uh, but he was high up in the company. He got me my job. He uh, pushed for me in every opportunity. He had more faith in my ability and made me realize that, yeah, I, I, I have an interesting point of view and people do want to hear what I have to say. Uh, so he was my number one mentor, uh, and I've got a lot, a lot of respect for that man. Uh, Liz Adams, who is my manager, she uh, used to be the GM of Nova, I think, in Sydney, and she's been around for years. You know, she is the best agent you can imagine, uh, and she gives me a lot of confidence as well. And she, you know, she'll book me into a speaking therapist if she thinks that my voice on air is going a bit fast, if that can help me. And, you know, she'll do things off her own back to help me out. So she's helped me out a lot too. And then uh, other figures that have sort of helped me out in my career, Dave Cameron, uh, he's Dave Cameron's an interesting character because he will give you a job as you as he walks past you in the hallway, and he will also probably take a job off you as he walks past you in the hallway. He's he's the most poker. He should be playing poker that guy because you just can't read him. But he was always interested in my career, so that was always good. And Adrian Bryan, who is just a bloody legend, and Donna Pueschmarin, who was my first content director. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that was probably. 
all the thanks and the mentors that I have. In terms of who I look up to, Hamish Blake is number one. I've always idolised him. I work in the same bloody office as him and I can't even talk to him. I'm, I can talk to anyone, you know, yeah. I can. I'm li- I will literally interview anyone, and I don't care. You know, whether it be a Kardashian or Ed Sheeran or Nicole Kidman or Katy Perry. I don't like. They're regular people, and they sing some songs. Sure. Hamish Blake, I turn into, you know, an autistic seven-year-old when I'm near <laughs> him, uh, because, and I'm only saying that because my sister's autistic, and I know that she just can't have a conversation with anyone. And I'm just. I was in the urinal, and Hamish Blake walked in next to me. He goes, Mickey. Yep. And I've just froze and looked at him and I've just gone, oh, I'm just pissing. <laughs> and he goes, that's what we're here for, mate. And then he just – and I'm just like, why did I even talk? What's happening? It's so great. And it's, all, it's exactly, almost exactly the same for Andy as well. I just idolise them. I worship them. And all you have to do is have a look at the comments on, the, on any of the Instagram videos or Facebook pages. And it's just this. They are national icons. They are the Paul yeah. Hogans of our day. And – you know, th- that's – you don't want to compare yourself to anyone, but if I could be one-tenth of what – you know, how, how likeable Hamish Blake is, I'd be a happy person. Yeah, and I think you've nailed it too. I, I think that too many people uh, forget that someone like Paul Hogan was an absolute national bloody icon, comedian, had his own television shows, did, you know, comedy tours. It was, was massive, all before Crocodile Dundee became a thing. And – Hamish and Andy have absolutely, uh, I would often matched that level, haven't they? They are, it's a duo that you you offer that name up and pretty much most people, I would offer at least seven out of 10 are going to know who they are. I think um, I have a look at some, I think it's called, and you might know this, is it the Q? Mm, the Q scores. The Q scores. I, thought, I, I think Hamish Blake has won it six years in a row. It's so crazy. With, uh, Good, crazy, but yeah. it's and it's and I think basically the idea is for this Q score for anyone wondering is uh, if you could have anyone at your dinner table, who could it be? And it doesn't mean they're the number one, but I think in a list of six people, Hamish Blake was there the most. Mm. So I think that's basically the idea. Like Hamish Blake might not be everybody's number one, but he is in it nine out of ten people's top ten. Yes. Yeah, just to say, and it's different because Kyle Sandilands might be in two or three people's top ten, but he's also in six or seven people's bottom ten, whereas Hamish Blake is in nobody's bottom ten. Yeah. And I think Magda Jubansky always pops up in the in the for the ladies at, at number one or number two or something as well, doesn't she? Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying this in a size comparison or anything, but she's very much our Melissa McCarthy uh, as a yep. a brilliant comedic uh, talent. And yes. uh, and a face and a name and something. Magda's been in a lot of stuff that's had real national impact and longevity. So yeah. people know who she is. And we grew up, you know, with Fast Forward or Full Frontal, which, whichever one it was, yeah. uh, and Babe, you know. So she's got this. And Catherine Kim, you know, she is the zeitgeist of 1990 to 19, well, to 2005. Mm. It's crazy good. Mm. Do you think you'll ever make that list in, in people's top tens? You know what? I think I'm happy coming to the realisation that I don't I don't need to. I don't want to. I would love – of course I want to. Everyone wants to. You would love to. Everyone would like to be the person yeah. that most people in Australia would love to hang out with. Uh, but I am now, you know, four years into my career, 
uh, I, I'm aware that that doesn't because I've met so many brilliant people that aren't on that list as well. Uh, I'm aware I'm not doing anything near worthwhile to be given on that list. And if I was, it would be a crime against legitimately hardworking, talented people that, uh, you know, put together a product that isn't just faffing about on the radio. It's Hamish and Andy's gap year. It is their DVDs. It's their taking a plane to uh, taking a boat to Tasmania. It's world tours. It's there's so much work that they're doing that they deserve to be there. Just the same as Magda, just the same as, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman. I think the output of your work needs to be almost near crippling in terms of exhaustion for you to come close to making that list. And I work three hours a day and wear pants maybe four days a week. So I just don't think I should be anywhere near that list. (laughs) In in this iteration of your life, is this what Year 11 Michael thought he'd be doing? Now, Year 11 Michael was uh, head of drama uh, and acting was what Michael always wanted to do. He he was... I was the most passionate passionate acting student. Uh, You know, I was leaving boarding school. Um, I was leaving boarding school at 3.10 on the dot to get a bus into the city to work at Backbone Youth Arts Centre, which is, I guess, an indie theatre company in the city in Brisbane. And I had to get special allowances to leave boarding school because my dad never wanted me to be an actor, obviously, but I worked hard and... Mm -hmm. All I wanted to do was be an actor and I tried out for NIDA and I, you know, made it through to the second round and I was going to go for that. But then QT had their fine arts acting auditions on the same day and I missed schoolies at all these acting auditions. And 30-year-old me now realises that nobody wants an 18-year-old acting student. What do you have to give in life? Uh, and I went to Q, uh, USQ to do the theatre there uh, mm-hmm. and then I realised I wanted a job so I dropped out of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I started studying business. Uh, and, yeah, Year 11 Me thought – mate, Year 11 Me didn't even know radio was actually a job. I just thought that was something people were given or you had to do an apprenticeship in radio or something. I had, I had no idea. You know, it was Jamie Dunn. That's all I knew. Hello. Yeah. You know, that's that's all I knew radio to be, B105 in Brizzy. And uh, I had no idea how you'd even get to it. So I always thought I would be – doing musicals or theatre or maybe if I was lucky, uh, TV, I guess. And look at you now, dude. Not only have you been on TV and working very hard in radio, but you're also popping up doing the actual acting, real acting stuff. <laughs> I think we can both say it's a bit of a stretch that I was acting there. So, mo- mo- <laughs> you know that. <laughs> <laughs> For those that haven't caught on, uh, Michael was in Molly earlier this year playing, was it the neighbour or the mate of the neighbour of Molly? Uh, the neighbour, M- Molly's neighbour and sort of just his local, the, just a barfly that was with him all the time. Ne'er do well that would gate crash every party and uh, made himself quite at home in Molly Meldrum's house. Yeah, well, I, I think... I thought it was excellent. You're right, not much of a stretch, but it's still an, a credit, man. Yeah, look, I tell you what, I that body that I worked hard for, uh, I could finally, you know... <laughs> Everyone was like, geez, you don't look too good with the shirt off. And I'm like, no, no, no. It was all part of the character. I was uh, yeah, yeah. had to commit to it. So, uh, And now that it's aired a year after we shot it, I can now start to lose weight. Because <laughs> we you had to stay in character, effectively, in body character, in case there were press shots or pickups or anything needed to be done. So yeah. reasonable. How is the, the post-roll body uh, tightening going? Well, to be totally honest, uh, there is potential for, you know, one year anniversary of the DVD release. So I sort of have to maintain character, <laughs> to be totally honest, just because I'm dedicated to the role. And I think that's what uh, any casting directors are going to get with me, dedication to a role. Have you met Michelle Bridges? 
were you happy at the time? I have met Michelle Bridges. Uh, and I was more just concerned. I just always look concerned when Michelle Bridges is around mm-hmm. or Shannon Ponton or the Commando because they're all lovely people. But I just can't. Yeah. I just am like, Jesus Christ, what's happening with all everything you got, you've got? Why are you wearing tights? <laughs> it's the morning. It's just easy to feel judged around them, isn't it? Uh, it's not even that because I've always been comfortable with my body. Uh, I mean, not super comfortable, but just like, you know, a friend's couch. Like I sit on it, I'm aware it's comfortable, but I know I'm not really, yeah. it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I'm never that okay with anyone that works that hard on their body because I just think there's a level of narcissistic self-absorption that, you know, I think is weird and I can't align with. If I can't go and have a pint with you at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, then you're probably not the kind of person I want to hang out with. Yep. And I just, you know, I just feel like none of them would be okay to, you know, drink a stranger's beer. So mm. they're not my... Well, too many carbs for a start. Exactly. If you have to count... If you look into the, you know, the, the molecular breakdown of a food, you're ruining food, you know? yeah. <laughs> I just think that they put too much time and effort into creating an image that isn't really attainable for anyone with a job. So I go, mate, you are purveyors of a false dream and I don't like that. But they're lovely people. I love Shannon Ponson. He is such a nice dude. Um, But I can like Kyle Sandilands. I like Kyle Sandilands as a person, but I can be not okay with some of the things they say. I always separate the art from the person or the career from the person. And that's not a very common thing in today's media landscape, though, is it? To have people be able to separate the person from the things they say slash do. Yeah, and it's it's a big leap that I think a lot of people should uh, be able to do uh, because it helps a lot. I love Woody Allen films. I love them. Midnight in Paris is one of my favourite films. I am also aware that he is a weird sexual deviant that had sex with his allegedly his stepdaughter when she was 15 or something, you know? And I know that that's a yep. shitty thing. And... But but I can't – I sometimes struggle with my state of mind and if I take some things away from me because some person did a bad thing, that isn't going to make me feel better. There's no ethical superiority I have because I've decided not to watch Midnight in Paris one night when I'm feeling sad. And it's the same with Chris Brown. I will never promote that guy on radio, but Forever is one of the greatest songs of the last 10 years. It is a banger and I'm, I can go, you know what, that's a good song, shit dude, but. It's the same with anything. Russell mm. Crowe, yes, he assaulted someone with the phone. I'm not going to say no to him because, you know, I think Gladiator is a good film. I like it. I'm not going to cut people off because they've done something shitty in their life. Other, a lot of people will disagree with me. They'll be like, no, Michael, if mm. someone does something horrific. You know, I read Mein Kampf and I'm like, this is, a, you know, a, the ramblings of a madman, but it's, you know, a best-selling book. He's the most horrible human in the world, but he can write a book. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it's it's. I just think it's a really good thing for people to be able to separate the 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 art from the person. You know, Van Gogh yes. probably. I think Van Gogh bashed his wife. You know, I, and I refuse to support anyone who you know does anything shitty. But then you go, well, hold on. Why would I take away a pleasure of myself being able to enjoy this art? He's not winning from it. Why don't I just separate it? And I think that's a really important thing for people to do. So, what challenges you in life? Yes. Uh, myself, that's it. I I, I I, say no to myself more than anything. I'll be like, I've got a really good sketch idea, but then I'll just say, who wants to hear it? No one wants to hear it. That's it. I'll go to bed. 
that's it. Not, nothing. And I think a lot of people have that. It's that self-doubt. Self-doubt is the most challenging thing you can deal with, I think. Uh, if someone says no to me, I love that. I love it when people say no to me because I hate them. And then I want to prove them wrong because I'm a spiteful person. But if I say no to myself, then I'm like, I don't want to beat myself. I'm like, well, Michael does make a good point. So we best go to bed. <laughs> Your inner monologue uh, yeah. conversations sound excellent. Yeah, it's good logic. <laughs> Do you have any ink? Tattoos? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got one about a week ago, actually, I think. Um, what do I have? I have a beer bottle that says lols on my right foot. I've got an ice cream and a KFC bucket on my left foot. Uh, I've got, uh, Laker, the space dog on my right thigh. I've got, uh, Kevin, uh, Glenn McGrath in pigeon format with the words line and length on my right thigh. I've got, uh, a toothbrush with the words brush them, brush them on my right thigh. I've got a kangaroo. Uh, on my left thigh, which I got as a, I lost a bet last week. Uh, I've got a pizza, Gosh. a pizza slice on my left thigh, uh, with the word "scrad fucked a ghost" on it, but it's in acronym, so it's S F A G about my old housemate Scrad who had sex with a ghost. Uh, and I have a taco with a bottle of No Effects hot sauce pouring on it on my left thigh, and then I have the word "brothers" inside my lip. There's a lot going on in all of them. Yeah, they're all stupid, but so am I. So I think people with boring tattoos are probably boring people. <laughs> I got my daughter's name. Cool. Why don't you just remember it, dude? How about that? <laughs> oh, my pit, my pit bull died, so I got it tattooed on me. Again, photos. Just frame it. Put it on your wall, mate. What was the first one that you got? Uh, the one inside my mouth. Okay, the brother's one. Yeah. Because of relationship or no. some other <laughs> It was a mosh crew that I had in the Brisbane hardcore scene. Myself yeah. and uh, Aaron Stringer, who was the singer for the band The Amity Affliction. We were in a uh, a mosh crew where we uh, uh, like hardcore danced, fight dancing uh, mm. when we were 18. And we were brothers was the mosh crew. And then there was RDC, which was rank dance crew. And we were the most disgusting dudes. Uh, and we would like just pee on each other and like pretend to jack each other off in the pit. Uh, <laughs> so I had RDC on my upper lip and that faded off after about four years, which is very handy because that's when I sort of left the RDC as well because they started doing shots out of each other's foreskins and I decided to opt out at that point. Uh, yeah. And brothers remained and it was sort of just a, just a nice little reminder of how sort of I got 85% of my friends. It was through the Brisbane sort of music scene. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I got that when I was 18, so that's 12 years ago. That is intense. Yeah. Doesn't hurt for anyone wondering. Lip tattoos do not hurt. Oh, look, I'll take your word for it. I, I haven't got one. So. You got, you've got a fancy leather vest the last time I saw you, so I feel like you need to tattoo. I've got lots of fancy everythings. I'm an outside <laughs> fancy, not so much an inside fancy. I imagine you're a pantless kind of guy at home. Dude, I work from home, so pants are <laughs> at the best of times. That's, that looks very good on a resume. <laughs> what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Mate, next 12 months are very, very scary for me. So I think the biggest thing I'm looking to achieve is to be okay with being not okay in terms of work. My contract's up in about a month. I don't know if they're going to re-sign me or not. Uh, I'm in a really weird situation where the night show that I do 
is uh, co-sponsored by Google and it took three or four months mm-hmm. for the negotiations to take place. So my contract finishes like around the end of uh, mid-May. And I tell you what, there are no radio shows starting around mid-May. So it's like a football player being off contract, you know, Oh, yeah. two months into a season and not being able to join a team because all the rosters are full, I'm going to have to float for the next six months, which is scary. But it's also, I mean, it's scary because I'm 30 and I don't have parents I can live at home with. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my dad lives in Kuala Lumpur and my mom lives in very sort of country New South Wales. And if I want to remain sort of in the the media industry, I have to stay in Melbourne or Sydney. Uh, so I've got rent to pay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, I, you know, it's. I think it's going to be a time. I've got to try to figure out whether or not I want to do stand-up comedy or not. I've always been afraid of doing it. It's been my greatest fear ever, uh, and I have so much respect for comedians. And I had a chat with Tommy Little the other day. We went out for lunch, and uh, he was like, just give it a go, mate. You know, just commit to it, do five nights a week, shitty little clubs, be okay with failing. Mm. And I think that being okay with failing, that's going to be my task for the next 12 months. Just being okay with failing to make people laugh sometimes. Yep. I hear that. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. That's all right, mate. Thank you very much for having us on. I, uh, I'm very impressed at the output you've got. It's a very, very good little body of work. It's voluminous is what it is. Oh, mate, there's annals. Annals. Speak for your annals. <laughs> I want to say that I really appreciate the chance to speak with you. Please know the things that you said uh, are highly valued and you're really special. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, Malky, mate. I uh, appreciate your support over the years. You've always been a like a like a friendly little Twitter ghost that's always hanging out and giving a cheeky like here and there. Oh, I'm strongly uh, team Michael, there's no question. Very clearly <laughs> you're on Twitter. Are there any other social media accounts that you want to admit to, nay, alert people to? Oh, not really, to be honest. I, I don't really – I've got Instagram and, you know, I've got more people on Instagram than I do Twitter, but I just think Instagram serves 16-year-olds and people who are pushing this false idea of what reality is. And it's. I think it leads to a lot of depression and anxiety that people have when they compare themselves to people's lives, when they compare their life to people's Instagram lives. And I just don't support that. I don't like it. Uh, and I go back through mine and I'm like, geez, my life looks great when I realise – I didn't have enough money for food that week. Why am I looking so happy? Uh, So Twitter's generally where I like the most. Uh, I think it's a great way to be political and funny and test out your jokes and support your friends. So Twitter's really all all I hang out with. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at MickeyB273 is indeed human. Debatable, but sure. Thanks, Steve.